business leaders. So the supply chain's not going to get better anytime soon. Well, you know, it's rolling. It shifts. It changes. Mm -hmm. We've gone from toilets being a shortage. Toilets were a shortage because the biggest factory for making toilets Mm -hmm. is in Wuhan, Mm -hmm. which was ground zero. It's an unfortunate (laughs) (laughs) circumstance. Yeah, Crazy. I would have never known that. Right, right. (laughs) But um, so that is a definite thing. Um, And then it went to water heaters. We couldn't get water heaters for a while. We couldn't get... You know, it, it's as things sat in containers, as core elements of those things sat in containers. Like for my daughter, my daughter who's 18, for her 16th birthday, we bought her a Ford Bronco. Mm-hmm. And that's what she really wanted more than anything else in the whole wide world. She wanted a Ford Bronco. And we have a deal with our kids. You go to school, you get good grades, you're doing this sport to achieve at a high level. And we'll take care of your first car. Because you're doing this, this is a job. Mm -hmm. I mean, she goes Mm -hmm. to hitting three times a week. She goes to conditioning every single day. So she's working. Right. Um, And so she picked out her Bronco. She ordered her Bronco. As soon as they were allowed to be ordered, six months before her 16th birthday, she had this Bronco underway. 16 days before her 18th birthday, they delivered the Bronco. (laughs) Oh, what a buzzkill. You get the new car. Hey, Good news, honey. We're buying you a car, and then you have to wait and wait yeah, and wait. Yeah, well, in her, you know, it was a good thing because she drove around an old beat up Dodge and figured out how to drive. And if yeah. she scraped it up a little bit, right? No big deal. And now she has her beautiful, pretty Bronco. But I tell people that like one of our biggest problems with capacity right now is we can't get trucks to put techs on the road. We have all these technicians ready to go, and we can't. We're doing a truck sharing program where guys are working four days, 10-hour days, and then another guy is getting in their truck to work his four days because we can't get enough trucks. Like, Wow. It's horrible. And then the new Ford vehicles, we're used to paying $36,000 for a brand new one. Mm-hmm. A fleet truck is $56,000 right now to buy a new truck. from. So all of the like trucks you used to buy for thirty six k are now 50-something. 50 56, yeah. And you can't even get enough of them. Can't get enough of them. Nope. We're working on creative solutions to MacGyver out minivans to be able to put text in something. Because, you know, with racks, racking systems inside minivans, because we're driving Kias. You know, I mean, we can't, we can't get anything. We went from a whole Ford, Ford fleet to not even be able to get the Fords anymore because we just, you know, and we're at capacity. We have people ready to go and ready to work, but we don't have anything to put them in. So people aren't a constraint for you it's it's the vehicles, vehicles it's the equipment it's inventory it's always something else too and it's it's unpredictable yeah because you go place an order for i'll give you an example um six months ago we paced, placed an order for metal boxes mm-hmm. right the metal boxes that hold the register girls in yeah. place a week ago we received fifty thousand metal boxes <laughs> We've been having to beg, borrow, and steal metal boxes from all over the place. Flex has been an issue. For the last four months, we couldn't get enough flex. We had houses sitting, like missing closings, because we we couldn't get the flex stock to put in the houses. So it's like it rolls and changes. And sometimes it's metal, and sometimes it's copper, and sometimes it's, you know. So do you just have orders out there, and you have no visibility into when this stuff's going to show up? Like, did you know the 50,000 boxes was going to show up? Or did you just know that you would order them at some point? And then they're like, hey, surprise, good news. Here's your boxes. Hey, headed your way. You know, like a couple weeks ago. And and what does this do to little guys, right? Like Mm -hmm. if they couldn't afford... My husband got a call. He's like, I got 250 condensers. Do you want them? You got to take them all. You got to take the whole semi. He's like, hell yeah. He went and bought a warehouse to put them in. Because where did these come from? Where did the condensers somebody come Somebody canceled two two different dealers canceled a shipment in te- in North North Carolina or Tennessee or something. Yeah. So they lost an account and canceled the shipment. And our our territory manager found out about it, and he's like, "I can get them all for you. Get me a PO." We had to buy them on the spot and get them in here so we could make the, all the Lennar closings for the month of August for their quarter end. So you just you're constantly out there just hunting. Yep. It's our whole purchasing team has changed their whole MO just trying to find the things for the things that are the shortages. And we don't know what the shortages are going to be this month. Like, okay, what are, what are, it's been a whole new adventure since COVID for sure. How has that affected employee morale? It's hard. 
everybody's burnt. Yeah. You know, everybody is burnt out. Everybody is maxed out. Everybody's having to take on new roles and shoulder new burdens and learn new ways to operate. This isn't how we operated. We didn't stockpile all this inventory. And right. what does it do to your profitability and your efficiency? Like we have, we have quotes with specific vendors that we guarantee them our business and they guarantee us a price point. Mm-hmm. They have no supply. So it kills your profit right. because now you have to go and buy it. And, of course, you don't supply and demand as to the cost. Everybody knows flex. I can show you messages that where guys message us on Facebook. I have a truckload of flex. Do you want it? And it's five times, ten times what we pay for it. And I'm like, you stole it. I know you stole it. You stole it from somebody else's warehouse. <laughs> Like it's like you know the guy that's like, selling like the, the designer shoes out of the back of a car. Yeah, or like the people stealing like copper from construction sites and yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it it's it feels unfair because we had to go through COVID, right? Which took the wind out of everybody's sails, right? And it's like getting punched in the gut for two years, mm-hmm. and then we finally sort of turned the corner on COVID, and right. we have this lingering economic yeah. supply chain stuff that it doesn't appear. Everybody I talk to has similar stories to what you just told me, just for their business. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a person who leads an IT company the other day, mm-hmm. same kind of thing. So now we're just we don't have any energy left for managing people through COVID, and now we're having to deal with this complete unpredictability in everything. Precisely, it's awful. It is. It's awful. It's Great. it's testing everyone. It I is. Think. And tempers are shorter than ever. And mm-hmm. customers are, you know, I mean, they think nothing of, you know, just tearing you up for, we had a guy um, put in a Better Business Bureau complaint on us. We called him four times and let him know we were running late because we had somebody without AC. His complaint was that his bath van was noisy. First world problems here. He called my dispatcher up and dropped F-bombs on them because we were 20 minutes late to his call. To fix the vent fan? Yeah. And then wrote up a Better Business Bureau complaint because we wasted his time. Mm-hmm. Like, we told you, we, we begged you to understand that this, there was a person on oxygen, um, it's a, ladies on chemo for lung cancer, and mm-hmm. she's on oxygen and their air broke. Right. So we rerouted the closest tech, which happened to be the tech who was going to that guy's house, to get her back up and running because she can't live without it. Right. It was like a 95, 97 degree day mm-hmm. back in the summertime. And this guy absolutely was so pretentious about his bath fan. You know, there are always those people out there, you know, the absolutely. outliers, but I definitely feel like there are more people on a shorter fuse okay. than ever. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, the great thing about, you know, if you have a good business and you do a good job, mm-hmm. you know, particularly you guys have a stellar reputation. So for any one of the, you know, irrational, they didn't get to my bathroom fan right. complaints, you probably have a thousand to the other exactly. side. And that's that's and, how and, you and win that the, game. Yeah, when we get this, when we get the bad reviews, we always respond. Right. We always attempt. And people can see that. We care. Like, and I think that what happens is when people go off online and they see us say, I'm really sorry about your experience, please contact us and let us make it right, mm-hmm. that that goes miles right. to saying, okay, they're, they're not going to drop this guy just because he's e- sure. Yeah, even if it doesn't get resolved in public on whatever platform the person's right. posting, you still get the points for trying. Exactly. And then a lot of times you see, all right, you can tell like this business is doing everything they can and this person's just... Yeah. Irrational. Like exactly. You, no, no one can get anywhere with this person. So. Right. Exactly. They're always out there. Yeah. And although when, when I responded to that guy, I went off. I actually posted <laughs> a screenshot of what he texted to my dispatchers right in the business. I said, I refuse to be held hostage by your bad behavior. Right. Right. This is, I, and I will stand up to any customer about verbally abusing my people. Yeah. Like, don't. Just don't go there. They don't deserve it. They didn't do anything wrong. They're trying to do everything right to make you happy. Right. No one, none of my people are out there trying to make a customer mad, I promise. So, <laughs> so right. with the, um, when I think about, you know, people that need, people that reach out and contact you for an mm-hmm. AC problem, like I, I would guess a fair number of them are people who have the dreaded, you walk into your house and you just feel the heat and humidity and you're like, oh gosh, the AC broke, right. broke out and crapped it. So it's all, it, it's, a fair number of they're always emergency calls, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you walk in and your AC's not working in Florida in the summertime, like that's an emergency. But with all the su- supply chain problems, 
are people like having to live with this for much longer than they used to? Because sometimes, yeah, yeah. some in some cases it depends on what is the specific break and what is the specific remedy. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a place in time where we couldn't get motors. Uh, we couldn't get like the air handler motor. We couldn't get the condenser fan motor. Um, there was a place in time where, like, if you have a very specific uh, system that you want, we may not be able to get it that fast. You may have to pick a different brand or something and settle for something other than what you would normally choose because there's just no other option. Are there things you can do temporarily for people? Like, Sometimes. I've been in buildings where they, like, bring in portable units and yes, they run a duct do. into the window. We and like- do have some portable units. We do that. Um, but, you know, again, it's limited you know sometimes what's the typical turnaround time like if somebody needs a new system installed right now what's how long do they typically have to wait um usually we can we're still at a point where we can get to them the next day or two okay it's just a matter of um sometimes they have to settle for a brand they may not have wanted like they came in and they really wanted brand x oh i'm sorry we don't have that size in brand x we can get it for you but it's going to be a while if you need it right now you're going to have to go with brand Z. And what what are they sacrificing in those cases, if anything? Um, honestly, it's their perception of the brand. Okay. Um, I've found through um, through my years of being in the HVAC industry, mm-hmm. you can make them all run. Right. They all run well. Some sometimes there's some creature comforts that you're missing. So, um, you know, maybe the system's a little louder. Maybe the outside unit is a little bit louder, or maybe the efficiency is not quite there, or the dehumidification is not right there. So you might lose a bell or whistle here and there, but will it still run? Yes. Will the price point be the same or similar? Yes. You know, and and sometimes it's brand perception. Like mm-hmm. these these brands are national companies, right? And they're going to do everything they can to create a perception of those of the expectation of that brand. Mm-hmm. And um, when you tear them apart and look at the guts. Many of them are still using co- all of them are using Copeland scrolls, right? So the the heart of the system is the same. Okay. The motors and like the made system, by the same company. They're all know. using G motors. They're all using okay. compressors, yeah. but they have proprietary branding on them, right? To make it ours, but the manufacturer process is the same. Okay. All right. So it's features. It's minor stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, so the heating, AC, plumbing, home services business still seems like it's pretty fragmented. Like you see the big sort of franchise companies, mm-hmm. you see, um, you know, larger companies, and then it's still a bunch of, you know, single owner operators or somebody that's got two or three trucks. It seems like there's still a lot of fragmentation. Is that your perception of it? Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you'll see. So there's a couple different paths into the, into the HVAC industry. You'll see guys that are really, really, really good techs, and they're like, I'm tired of working for the man. I want to go do this myself. Mm-hmm. And some sometimes they're good businessmen, and sometimes they're not. And um, sometimes they just want to just feed their families and put a couple of techs in business, and they're happy with that business model. They can do things for lower overhead, and they can offer things for less money, but sometimes customers sacrifice on the other side of the transaction. So when that guy takes his whole crew out fishing on a Saturday, mm-hmm. you're not going to reach anybody when your air conditioner breaks. Right. Um, when that guy decides that he's going to retire and he closes his doors and you are still under warranty, there's no one left to take care of you. So there's trade-offs. But you know there's a process to get your state license and all of those things. So those, that is the... Um, process people have to go to the state doesn't make it super easy so Mm -hmm. the fact that they can hang out a shingle is an accomplishment Mm -hmm. you know it's just a matter of it's hard to work in your business and work on your business right so you have to be able to make that distinction and then when you see these big franchise companies in the hvac industry there are organizations that you can buy into Mm -hmm. it's set up for a sales structure I'll be perfectly honest. It's set up so they can maximize the sale, the per invoice sale. Um, in our early stages, we looked at some of those and we looked at um, what what we did is we looked at a course that kind of taught us how to 
run a successful service company, how to talk to people, what kind of things do you need to manage? But um, we've been approached several times to go into some of these big conglomerate groups, and then they hand you the price book. Mm-hmm. And this is your price book, and this is how much you're going to charge. And you know, one of my favorite models is this whole concept of waiving the diagnostic fee. Mm-hmm. Every company that waives the diagnostic fee has two sets of prices in their price book, the initial repair price and the add-on price. You know the difference is? No. The initial repair price contains the diagnostic fee that they're waiving for right. the customer. This is like the uh, no closing cost mortgages. Yes. Like, we'll pay your closing costs. Yeah, sure. Like, I've, I've had people sure. in the industry explain, right like, somebody's paying the closing costs. It's usually you, no matter exactly. what. It's just, do you want it to be obvious, or do you want it to be packaged in on the back end of the Exactly. So yeah. we get customers all the time who call in and say, do you waive your diagnostic fee? And I'm like, no, but neither does anybody else. They just add it to your first repair. Yeah. So you feel better about using that. Right. But I personally feel better about telling the truth. Like that that diagnostic fee covers the person you talked to on the phone to book the call, the diagnost the dispatcher who routed that call and made sure the guy was had all the things he needed to run that call, the warehouse guy who made sure that the truck was loaded, the truck, the insurance for the truck, the gas, the guy's time to drive there and however long it takes for him to diagnose that call. Yeah. I think that's a great deal. It is a good deal and that makes a lot of sense. But just just to look at the other side of that, it's a good marketing tool to do it the other way, which is why so many people do it. And they might say, yeah, Chris, that sounds good, but like we don't get the opportunity to explain it the way you just explained it. Right. We'd rather just capture more share by telling everybody, hey, you're getting this thing for free. But I think this is important because this is going to get into what we're going to talk about a lot. This is a family business that your family started and you grew in a very purposeful way mm-hmm. and avoided paths other people take specifically to do what you've done. And it's like, you can't argue with the fact that it's been very successful. So this is a perfect example of something I'd like to get more of your thoughts on because the easier play would be, be at parity in the marketplace. If people are taking this offer to the market and it's industry standard, no diagnostic fee, just like attorneys are like, there's no fee unless we win. It's like you Mm -hmm. see in every industry has their things that they use, you know, no closing costs. Talk about why you chose to do something that's arguably more difficult, you know, because it's, it's a tough hill to climb. It's integrity. Yeah. It's integrity. It's principle. It's against what we consider right and wrong. I want to be upfront. I've had marketing companies that have said, I know how to make the phone ring. Let's go to market with a buy the condenser, get the air handler free. And our initial response was, you can't do that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You can't give away an air handler. We'll go broke. And they're like, oh, you don't give it away. You just put it in the cost of the condenser. I'm like, oh, well, that's smoke and mirrors. I don't tap dance. Yeah. I sell air conditioners. I want people to understand what they're getting. I would much rather give them a big discount if they buy a specific system than do it this way. I just, you know, no. <laughs> right. It doesn't feel good. Well, you're not going to get the results. And I'm like, no, but I'll sleep at night. Right. You know, and to me, that's more important. Do you feel like you've grown slower because you've taken that path or do you feel like you somehow solve for it through training and things like that because i you're going to get the question when people call and i'm like everybody else is offering the free right. diagnostic thing yeah we do, do you just we do you have to overtrain your people we do train on it we absolutely do but i feel like it it comes through in employee retention and customer retention. Another great example is the $29 tune-up. Mm-hmm. Everybody's gotten that postcard or that phone call um, $29 tune up. Well, yeah, they're going to come out and try to find something wrong with your system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have called me and said that when they left, something was wrong with their system that wasn't Shockingly. wrong. Before, Shockingly, right? Yeah. right? Right. So there's no such thing as a $25 tune up or $29 tune up. It's they're there to find something to sell you. It mm-hmm. is a sales call, mm-hmm. 110%. They're not inspecting t- to walk away and say, hey, it's all good, man. They're not doing that. Right, because they would lose money on every call. Absolutely. So um, I find that we have been able to bring in technicians who are uncomfortable in that role. Hmm. It is a very – those kinds of companies put a lot of pressure on average invoice. They put a lot of pressure on sales for those technicians and on production for those technicians. There's a ton of pressure. Mm -hmm. And I feel like – the trade-off is customer retention because they know we're going to be honest with them and we're not going to sell them things they don't need. And they know, and our technicians, we get a different quality of technician 
We get some of the old school guys that are there to truly fix and repair because they're uncomfortable being put in that position. They've lived it. They know what it's like, and they're not happy that with that. And those are the people I want to bring in, too, because they share that principle of integrity. They share those core principles that define who we are. Do you think that system causes the, the less skilled technicians to go to the other companies and free up more? Because it just somebody who is dedicated to this craft doesn't necessarily want to be a high-pressure salesperson. Very true. Like, sales is a different skill set. It is. Um, so if if you take somebody who is a technician who's a craftsman and, you know, say, hey, now 85% of your job is going by this pitch book, you mm-hmm. know, and if you don't That's get exactly this done on a call and this done on a call, it, it seems like that would just drive the really good people to other places. It does. Yeah. And so you see it a lot out there, and you see a lot where um, – that's why you see that fragmentation in the market, because it's almost like they want salesmen more than they want mm-hmm. skilled techs. Like, we'll teach you how to fix it, and if you can't fix it, sell them a new one. Can they make more money doing that, though? Absolutely. Yeah. They, they pay very high commissions. Yeah, they can absolutely make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we, we do pay our technicians very well. I mean, they're, they're among the industry standards, but their commission... Um, the spiff and bonuses they make, it's industry standard for them to get something. Right. But we are not driven the way they're driven. Okay. We do a profit sharing. Whatever you produce, you get a percentage of. Is that unusual in your business? Yes. Most of them um, have a lower hourly wage and a really high commission. Okay. Our guys have a higher hourly wage and a more of a profit sharing style commission. At the end of the day, do your people do as well yes. as the others? Yes, absolutely. We okay. wouldn't keep them if we couldn't. You know. Right, right. So your system works. They, you can still make just as much money. Absolutely. We wouldn't keep anybody if, if we couldn't. Right, right. But, that's, but those, I mean, I've had so many guys say, if you ever do that $29 special, I'm, I can't stay here. Yeah. I, I can't even tell you how many guys have said that to me. So over, over the last few years... How have wages um, adjusted in your industry? Most most people are saying they have to pay people more now. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. And not just the technicians, but also the people who answer the phones, the people who process the payroll, the people who do all of the tasks that um, make the business run. Mm-hmm. So everything, the cost of everything is going up. The cost of our people's rents is going up. And so they're demanding more to stay. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a cost creep everywhere. Yeah. Is it difficult? What are the most difficult positions to recruit for right now throughout your whole business? Throughout the whole business, um, definitely skilled labor. Skilled labor is definitely, um, whether it's a technician or a um, Mm construction-based technician, installers, we call them installers, the field plumbers, all of those, the typical blue-collar trade workers, is it's becoming t- harder to find, especially you, as this generation, you know, um, continues to enter the workforce. What do you attribute all that to? Um, some of it is a lack of wanting to enter the workforce, mm-hmm. a lack of wanting to work that hard. The trades we do. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Our guys are sitting up in a, you know, I had a conversation with a customer the other day, and I said, this coil change is not going to be cheap. It's it's X amount of money. And they're like, why is it so much? I said, because my guy's sitting in a 220-degree attic. He has hazard pay for this. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's going to get more money because your air handler is in the attic. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you put it there. And I pulled up her estimate, and I said, we offered to move it, and you wouldn't let us. Right. <laughs> But but those attics are hot. These guys yeah. work hard. It's not fun, you know. And they they have it, it's a lot. You know, yeah. we have guys that go home with heat exhaustion every single day, and then we have all their calls that we have to rearrange and right, you right. know, and we have to protect them. And so, it's it's not an easy career, but it is a career that's worth having for yeah. certain people. I it, I think any career that has the opportunity to reward people in a big way is difficult, including 
Yes. You know, office work and knowledge work and things like that and banking and finance and anywhere you're going to do well, it's going to be challenging. It's just different types of challenge. And I just wonder if at some point the pendulum might swing the other way because you talk to a lot of disillusioned quote unquote knowledge workers Mm -hmm. and particularly now that people have been experimenting with with remote work and things like that. They're finding that there's just a lack of satisfaction in the job they do. And when you remove them from an office environment, they really start to realize like, what do I do all day? I just stare at a screen. So it's, it's difficult. And there's, there's a, there's a romantic aspect to doing a job where you show up and do physical work. And when you're done, you see the results of that. And like something's done, something's installed, something's working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's going to be become more attractive to people entering the workforce. Yeah. I I think we could, we're definitely on the cusp of seeing, a little bit of a revolution in in the fact that it's freedom and its ability to choose your stress, right? It's either physical stress on your body mm-hmm. or mental stress because you're in that knowledge-based job. And it's a different level of stress. And sometimes I think the physical stress is easier to manage because there will be a point where your body will achieve mastery of that physical stress, right? You're strong enough to do that job every day and you're fine. You adapt to it. And then when you're done at the end of the day, you're done. The stress, the stress abates Yeah, and they're in, in, and they're free and they have that lovely paycheck that they've earned and they're making more than many of the college graduates that I see. Well, that's, that's sort of like the best kept secret. They're like, there are a lot of trade jobs that are very well paying and there's a lot of demand for like welders plumbers hvac technicians electricians like on and on like these are good paying jobs great paying jobs yeah great paying jobs right even our installers in the new construction field they make great money people are shocked all the time Mm -hmm. when they find out like it's it's equivalent to you know people entering the legal field walk into a marina and go ask them who owns the boats Mm mm-hmm you know, walk into a Ford dealership and ask who's buying the big trucks. Ask right. who's buying the Raptors. They're tradesmen. Yeah, yeah. They're tradesmen. Construction, contractors, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Um, how long have you been working in the business? I know it's a family business. Started in 77. 99. 1999. 1999. Okay, so you've been here through a lot of... A lot of things. A lot of the growth. Yeah. Can you talk about how... Number one, how it was started. So it was your father-in-law, right? Yep. Was it kind of like you described earlier, like somebody who just wanted to go out on their own, hang a shingle? and? Well, he worked for a gentleman named George Gunner, who was, um, if you know anything about Newport Ritchie in that area, he had like the Embassy Hills contracts, and he was doing all these when neighborhoods first started, when these little subdivisions started popping up. And he was approached... Um, by a big company that was moving in to develop Timber Pines, which is a big, one of the first big retirement communities here in Florida. And he said, I don't want any more work. I don't want to, I don't want to take that on. Right. And he, my father-in-law was one of his best plumbers. And he said, why don't you start your own company? So he borrowed $500 from his father-in-law. Um, and he bought some pipe and he took the contract and, um, that company developed over, over the years to be Lennar Homes. And we still have a contiguous relationship with that builder to this day. So that was his first contract. Um, and he, his helper quit with him. My mother-in-law and father-in-law used to tell stories about how there were weeks that they had to live on a dozen eggs and they would only get meat on the weekends. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very sparse life as they were building um, building the company. But they did grow it slowly over time. He was one of those guys that uh, ran the business out of his house. And he said the best thing that ever happened to him was that somebody turned him in. And he had to go get a shop. And he started his own building and created a building. Turned him in, like because he was running a business out of his house that wasn't authorized in that deed restrict. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he um, had to go and start a place and have an office. So he had more overhead now, right? Okay. Yes, and he had to find people. He's a great plumber, but he didn't have the education. So my father-in-law enlisted in. the Navy, mm-hmm. right from high school, uh, went straight to Vietnam, um, came home with two Purple Hearts and a Bronze Star, 
um, saved a bunch of guys that were ambushed and uh, was shot twice. Um, went back after the first, after he was wounded the first time and mm-hmm. ended up shot again. And mm-hmm. then he came back and that's and he was kind of got a job as a plumber and started working and right and and that's how that started. That's how the business started. And then when my husband graduated from college, um, he got a degree in business. Went to St. Leo. Um, right here in town, and um, he wanted to start the AC side of the business. So they were serving plumbers. They had about 40 employees at the time, um, just doing new construction plumbing with a little tiny bit of service. And so Robbie thought that um, air conditioning would be a good complement, and um, there was a company down the street that was very, very... um, popular had had great market share the gentleman sold it and that gentleman ran it into the ground and so that he felt there was a hole in the market that he could capitalize on and that's how we got into the ac business okay so an ac company went out of business correct and he felt there was a void okay all right and decided that that would be a good space to help his dad's company grow and how did how did his dad feel about that? Oh, he was very. He was excited. open to it. He's yeah, like, "Yeah, come absolutely. on in, let's do it." Let's okay, see what you got. Yeah, you know, here's his son who, you know, got out of college and instead of going out and doing anything else, he's like, "Hey, let's grow this thing," you know. So, yeah. Now, was he in? Was he an HVAC technician, or was he just he a business person starting a division within? Who then went to um, a trade school? Okay. So the guy who sold that other AC business actually came in was our qualifier. He helped us get started, helped Robbie get the experience he wanted. Um, Robbie went to P-Tech down here, Pinellas Technical, yep. and um, got all the certifications he needed and did all of the... Um, Chris helped us um, as our qualifier until Robbie was able to get his license. And when he sat for his license, he then um, took over running the AC side. And did he was he ever a technician? Or did he yes. just go get certified? Okay, so he did spend oh, some time he, out there. He was the guy in the truck for the first couple of years. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, until we got other employees, absolutely. Was that an unusual, when he? When did he do that? When did he add the AC business to the plumbing? 1998. Okay, was that a common thing to do back then? Like, I see a lot of... I don't think so. I see a lot of companies, like, I've seen a lot of HVAC companies, like, add plumbing and add electric, and that seems to be, like, a trend. Was that fairly was, new back then? It wasn't back then. There were not a lot of people that had multiple trades back then. I think it was a, a, a more forward-thinking, pioneering stance back in the late 90s. So how was his experience starting up the AC division within the company? Um, it definitely had its trials and tribulations, but it was really fun. You know, yeah. I mean, we did a lot of things, um, you know, looking back. Um, I had some education from college and from a previous job, and, and obviously he had a college degree, and we would spend our evenings and weekends studying other successful businesses and studying Disney and studying other service providers and studying people like Jim Rome and Tony Robbins and mm-hmm. and really learning, like, what does it take to do this? What does it take to build a team? What does it take to be successful? Who, who are our mentors? And we learned about the concept of masterminding mm-hmm. and decided that that was a great way to go. Like, if we didn't know how to do something, we need to find the best person we could at that and bring them into our team. Yeah. We could never be afraid of somebody knowing something that we didn't know. We needed to bring all of that in mm-hmm. in order to grow the business. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny looking back, like, you know, we, we went through goal setting exercises. And one day it was I was moving offices and um, we'd bought another building and I was moving to the other building. And in the back of my desk, I found this notebook from probably year three. And we had listed all these big, impossible goals. Right. Mm-hmm. And. What was really funny, we hadn't, I forgot about the notebook. I mean, life goes on and we forget about this little goal building workshop and exercise you did. Yeah. But we had hit every single one of them. Wow. Every single one. Now, can you delineate between how you divided up responsibilities between you and your husband? Absolutely. And are you both, not everybody is like, let's set up a bunch of goals and let's listen to Tony Robbins. Like, not, are you both like that? Are you both into leadership and, and you know, Grow, growth, so. personal we're, growth. We're vo- very much so. Like, in fact, I'll tell you um, off the record. Um, <laughs> one of his biggest pet peeves with me probably is that I love to read, mm-hmm. and I will often choose novels. 
and he will look at me and say, you're wasting your brain. And I'm like, no, I'm recharging my brain. Stop. Like, I can't constantly be yeah. 110%. Ingesting business advice, personal if, growth If I'm stuff, reading yeah. a book, he's like, what are you reading? <laughs> and I'm like, just a book. Because <laughs> that's my, like, if I don't watch TV, I, I am not a TV person. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I have 30 minutes to sit down at the end of the night, I want to find some really cool sci-fi book or mm-hmm. something like that and just great fiction and, and just dissolve into that world for a while. Yeah. And is he the opposite? Is he like a nonfiction only person? He is. If he's going to read, it's going to be something that is personal growth. He feels like he's getting something or, out of it. Yes. It, it must be. Okay. He's very type A. But how we how do we divide things? Um, he is phenomenal at processes. He is phenomenal at finances. He can read a balance sheet like nobody's business. He can look down our balance sheet. No one percentage is off by a cert, by more than what he considers an acceptable margin. He's like, there's a problem right there. Let's go find it. Mm-hmm. You know, he is amazing at um, identifying great people and bringing them in, building teams. Um, he credits sports with that a lot. Mm-hmm. As a company, we've done a lot as far as supporting youth sports over the years because he finds that a lot of the good things about him as a leader came because of the people who touched him growing up in sports. Right. Um, so it, we, we've always kind of been two sides of the same coin, and we freely admit that my strengths are his weaknesses, and his weaknesses are my strengths. So, like, it, a problem would come up, and he'd be like, you take this one. Mm-hmm. And a problem would come up, and I'd be like, yeah. So it, it was very clear, like, early on and he's he's really innovative and he comes up with a lot of efficiencies he's very good at coming up with outside of the box ideas that allow us to become more efficient and allow us to grow in ways like that we didn't realize would spur us in in such a way so he's he's really brilliant nice so the masterminding concept can you give me an example of that sure um, when purchasing these started to become a huge, huge challenge, um, we needed someone who was amazing at purchasing. So remember when I told you the story about the guy who took $500 from his, or borrowed $500 from his father-in-law and went to, so way yeah. back then he went to the counter of a huge supply to buy his pipe. The guy at that counter is a guy named Ed. Ed's our purchasing manager today. He spent his entire career on the supply chain side, mm-hmm. knows the supply chain side, knows the vendor side, one of the best in the business that we knew. And when we had a void in purchasing, we said, hey, Ed, why don't you come over to this side? And he's been with us for decades. That's great. So it's always keeping an eye out for industry professionals that could, that could fill a need. When some people talk about masterminding, they just talk about more from the sense of, you know, having a personal board of directors or people that they consult, um, like having a, you know, a a network of people that they go to, Mm -hmm. to help with different problems. Do you guys do that as well? We do. We do. We definitely have, um, a lot of friends in the industry Mm -hmm. who we can reach out to, um, when, when we need to, um, when different things are happening in the industry or what's going on, what's ahead. Um, I'm a member of a couple of groups. So it's Robbie that, that we definitely do that. But we we tried to take that concept of mastermind Mm -hmm. and internalize it. Okay. And rather than it being a board of directors making collective decisions, we kind of said, we need the best person at duct design. We need to have the best duct designs as possible because that's going to cut down on warranty down the line. That's going to make us more profitable because we don't have to go and deal with customers who are unhappy with their duct design. Mm -hmm. We need to find you know, the best, most innovative ways to do all of these things. How do we, how do we do this better? And we try to find and retain the best people that we can inside the company. Right. So if Robbie is great at processes and efficiencies and finances and innovation, what are your strengths? Um, I, I love working with people. I am probably the extrovert of the two of us. Mm -hmm. He's definitely the numbers guy, the introvert. He's great at speaking to people and getting in front of people, but that's not he he doesn't love that. I get recharged by it. I yeah. I will sit there on busy days and just take incoming calls. On on Monday if you called and you were one of the 50 calls I took, you know, you talked to me on the phone. Right. Um 
that recharges me. I love that piece of it. I love the people. I love building the teams and getting people excited and energized and setting a level of service and setting those standards. That's kind of always been my wheelhouse. Marketing, yeah. um, you know, any anything like to me, marketing is what our trucks look like. How, where do we park? How do we greet each customer? All of those things is all creating top of mind awareness for, for our people who, um, who deal with us every day. I tell all of the people who even answer the phones, I'm like, you guys are Bayonet. It's not me. Mm-hmm. It's not Rob. It's, it's you. Our people are really our product. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody can put in a toilet. Anybody can put in an air conditioner. It's the experience of dealing with us and knowing that you're getting backup. You know, if something goes wrong with that toilet, we're, we're still there for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that service call. We want to create a relationship. You have, I, I read on your website, something like 475 employees or more. Is it more? 950. 950? I think the website needs to be updated. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's even better. So with 950 employees, how do you institutionalize the type of culture you just talked about with close to 1,000 employees? core principles that are easily communicated. All right, so that's a good answer. But then I think of every company's got a mission statement right. and nobody knows what it is. Right. So how it's really simple. Okay. To make the lives we touch better. That's our purpose. All right. Um, our mission is some huge convoluted thing that I can't even recite, but our purpose is pretty simple. Okay. To make the lives we touch better. And whether that's our vendors, whether that's our business partners, whether that's our customers, whether that's our coworkers, every life we touch should be made better for the contact okay. with our company. But our core values are built in a way, um, I call it quick. So they're built in a way that everybody can easily recite them, digest them, and live them. Um, the first and most important um, value was inspired by my father-in-law quality. Like if we do a quality job, if everybody in the company, whether they're answering the phone, installing a toilet, doing the new construction install of their air conditioning or plumbing, if they're doing a quality job, everybody's life is easy. It it is easy. Just Mm -hmm. don't cut the corners, Mm -hmm. you know, just do the right thing. Right. So we have those five values and when they're used together, they're very efficient and very effective. And that's what helps build the culture. Our leaders all of the division leaders, the supervisors, the managers are the people who truly embody Bayonet. And all of them, we have really high retention of, of all of those guys. Um, the common thing is, like, people will either make it or they won't. And I've heard managers, I'll, I'll say, hey, what happened to so-and-so? And they'll be like, not a Bayonet guy. Just not a Bayonet guy. Mm-hmm. Like, No. They're all very protective of our customers and our relationships. And if we put a person out there who's not going to be too standard, it's a no. When you have a reputation as a company for developing great leaders, you become a target. Mm -hmm. How do you retain these people? Because if I've got a competing company and I want to dramatically scale, I want to grab some of Chris's people because they're the best in the business. How How do you prevent your people getting picked off? There's a lot of ways, and it just really depends on the on the job. But a lot of it is, you know, the grass is not greener because from this far away, you can't see the fertilizer, right? Yeah. So when you get close, there's fertilizer under every patch of grass, right? Right. So some enough people have left and come back that they start to realize that, and that is part of the culture too. Mm-hmm. Is that you know we're fair, we're honest. Um, we're fair to our people too. And, and they like that. They know it, there's a comfort. Um, they like the fringe benefits that go along with it. They like the opportunity for growth. I think that in and of itself, they know we're big. They know that there's potential. They know we continue to grow and have continued to grow. We haven't ever had a year. We went backward. Hmm. Um, since we went into the AC business, in 98. We've never had a year. We've had a, a year or two in the 09, 2000, between 09 and 11, where we were static. Is that housing crash related? Yes. Okay. And Robbie had an amazing idea there. Um, he got us out of that. We didn't lose anybody. How do you do that? He went to all of our builders and he said, um, I don't care where the work is. If it's in the state of Florida, I'll go. I want everything you have left. And we cross-trained our supervision mm-hmm. so that they could handle 
both trades because the volume was less. Mm-hmm. And then we spread them out across the state. We didn't care about the windshield time. We didn't care how far we had to go. We just wanted to keep our skilled labor working. So many of our competitors got out of the new construction business at that time and went straight service, and we were able to retain everybody. Did you have to discount? Some. Some. But But not dramatically. That wasn't the biggest factor. No. The biggest factor was just, well, and did we make any money that year? No. But we also didn't lose anybody. You didn't, right. And we didn't, I mean, I remember him looking at me and and, and saying, at the time, I think we had about um, 175 people. He's like, I can't look any of them in the eye and tell them to leave. Mm I am responsible for these families. And that's a lot, tells you a lot about my husband. I mean, he feels uh, very connected to every one of these families that he's trying to feed. Yeah. You know, that's his principle. How difficult a decision was that? In the sense that, did you have, you know, did you have the balance sheet to support that for a long period of time? Like, did you have sort of a cushion where you knew, okay, we can we can support this for so did, X number of yeah, months? Yeah, we did some work with a consultant actually just prior to this. Okay, that really drilled down on our balance sheet and allowed us to truly departmentalize. So all of our all of our accounting is very departmentalized, so we know the exact overhead of each individual division, service, plumbing, plumbing service, AC service, mm-hmm. um, AC construction, plumbing construction. So we could look at the overhead numbers and really get lean and competitive, okay. especially when we started sharing overhead among the departments. Yeah, yeah. So that's what helped us. But what really, really helped us is that when we tried to pull it back, all the people that we had partnered with in the more remote locations was like, no, 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 no. My construction managers want you to stay. We can't, we can't replace you. Mm-hmm. What do you need to put a branch here? What do you need to put a branch here? How many communities do you want? So you were able to secure commitments yes. from people who wanted to make sure that you'd be available to them. Precisely. And yeah. that's what has fueled the growth. Okay. You know, as we, as we go into the area, we, you know, develop a relationship with that area and then expand. Do you have any other tips in just in terms of how you ran your business that allowed you to have that type of flexibility, like thinking specifically about, have you ever taken on debt or do you have opinions on debt financing or managing that in such a way? Or have you always grown on cash flow? Like there are certain things you can do that put you in a better position. Like obviously if you don't have large debt obligations and interest payments and things, you can survive hard times yes. better. So do you have thoughts Absolutely. on any of that? Yeah, we we hate debt. We buy as much as we can for cash. Mm-hmm. Um, we always had um, a line of credit with a bank as a backup, but we did our best to never use it. Um, and I think that has been what has been very critical for us is we can control cost mm-hmm. because we know exactly what our cost is because we're not starving under interest and payment we owned all our own buildings, owned all our own vehicles. Um, there, there weren't the loans that we did take. If we took a loan, it would be for zero interest or one percent on a vehicle. Mm-hmm. When it made, you know, we had to make it make sense. Right. But that was so very conservative, very on, conservative on any type of debt or financing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Debt is debt will kill you. You um, rent will kill you. Rent will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a commercial investment. It's an investment in your property. Right. Right. So you, one of the other times we met, I remember you talking about, um, benefits for your employees and you were talking about windshield time and this, this idea of, you know, some companies, they expect their employees to drive to job sites and stuff and they don't get paid for that. But you guys do. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, so we, we just want to make it fair. Um, so our guy, we have, we have a couple different models now. So all of our technicians are paid drive time to within X number of miles of their home. That's not standard across every place, by no, the way, right? No, it's yeah, not. Yeah, that's what I remember about it. it and was- then um, we now have a distribution system because, so the construction workers, for the most part, are paid with what we call piece rate. So this job pays this much money, and when you do it, you're going to make money. Well, we actually, um, another brainchild of my husband, was developing a distribution system where we could deliver the materials to the job before the crew got there. So they will roll up on the job site, and their materials are waiting for them. 
So that eliminates the need to drive somewhere, load your stuff, unload your stuff, and clean up. Right? It's already done for you. Mm-hmm. So then the crew in the field can do two houses in the time it used to make them only be able to do one because it's more it increases their efficiency. So now he's just doubled him his income in one day. And that efficiency, I guess that covers the, because it sounds like it would be more expensive to have, you know, a separate crew dropping the materials off and then the workers show up. That sounds more expensive. But what you just said is they can do twice the work. So that covers whatever incremental. Precisely. Okay. So we can load multiple jobs on the truck and they go through the neighborhood and they have their schedule and they drop them all off and the guys just show up and their work is ready. Which is a benefit to them. Absolutely. Because so how do we retain them? Doing stuff like that that nobody else does, right? Exactly. Because he can make twice the money with us because he can get more done in a single day. Okay. Then he can if he goes to work for the guy down the street where he has to drive from wherever he lives. It's like a one-man show doing everything, yeah. Well, he has to drive from wherever he lives to wherever the shop is, load up, not being paid for that, drive all the way to somewhere else, not being paid for that, and then unload, still not being paid, only being paid for what he produces. Right. Right? So that seems brilliant. Are you seeing other companies copy that strategy? Not yet. It takes a significant overhead to be able to finance that. So um, we haven't seen a ton of people doing that. We do see people um, getting their suppliers to do it. Mm -hmm. So they'll buy all their materials and the suppliers will do that and they will deliver it to the job. So I see that happening. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to help them get their supplies any cheaper. Right. Right. So... Mm -hmm. Um, it's not going to, it costs you one way or another. So you're either paying here or you're paying here. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you've always talked a lot about training Mm -hmm. and I, I think that's something you're very involved with. Yes. Right. Talk to me about how you have developed training programs for your employees and, you know, starting from the beginning to where it's evolved to now. It used to be a train by committee. <laughs> you know, you would just, it was like, it would be an apprenticeship type of deal where you would just ride with somebody who's your most experienced tech and, and that sort of thing. And now we're moving more toward developing curriculum and online course basic. It feels like an online course when you're going through your training. Um, one of the cool things that, so back in 2020, first of all, we partnered with a national company um, that is all electrical. Um, so it's an evolution, like like you touched on before. We you saw you don't see multiple trades. Well, now um, in the construction industry, you're seeing MEP as a real thing. You have to have mechanical, electrical, and plumbing, and be able to present all three bids in one envelope to be considered by a lot of the national home builders. They want a one shop connection. Right. So. Um, we were able to partner with a national firm um, called IES Residential back in 2020. And um, we have secured a location that actually kicks off its first class next week where uh, we are opening our very own trade school called the Florida Education Center. So um, the Florida Education Center is going to teach guys how to be electricians, plumbers, or HVAC installers from the ground up, hands-on, real teachers, real knowledge. Um, there's actually used to be the Ignite Church up in Lakeland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on US 98. Okay. Just um, it's at 5859 US 98 North in Lakeland. So All right. Just north of I four, and it is a huge. Used to be a church, and now we have. Basically, they've framed out homes. So these guys will have classroom time and hands-on time, and they will actually learn how to do everything they would need to do to be successful on a job. So what gap does that fill in the marketplace? Because people can go out and learn this stuff already. Like, how does this strategically integrate with what you're doing? Well, the only way they can learn it is if they are taught by someone who's already doing it. There's no trade school anywhere Mm -hmm. that teaches construction installation. Okay. All right. I didn't they, know that. If you go to P-Tech, they're going to teach you how to work on a system. They're going to work, teach you refrigeration cycle. They're going to teach you those things, but they're not going to teach you how to run duct work. They're not going to teach you how to pull wires. So the previous existing way you do that is, like you said, you just have to kind of ride along with somebody and yep. apprentice, and you make, basically. You make zero money. You know, you're the helper. You're 
doing all the heavy labor, you're right. lifting all the heavy things, you're digging all the ditches if you're a plumber, you know, but plumbers, if you think about it, they have to know how to read the blueprint. Mm-hmm. They have to know how to get that fall correct in the under the ground. They have mm-hmm. to know how to hit the wall mm-hmm. for the stacks to come out so that your fixtures can go in right. inside the stem walls or inside the, you know, partition walls inside the home. It's a skill. It is it is a critical skill. You have to be able to tape out that house and match the blueprint mm-hmm. with a shovel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's definitely something you have to learn. So what the reason this is different is you become an employee. Where it's three partner companies that are working together. It's Bayonet, it's Edmondson and IES, Edmondson Electric here in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're running the school together. And um, you become an employee of one of those companies to get into the school. It's the only way. So we're not even asking the students to pay for this education. We're paying them to show up. So you get hired, you get into the apprenticeship program, you go to school for a couple of weeks, you go out on the job for a couple of weeks, you come back to school for the next pod, and then you come back to school, or you go back to work and put it into play. And by the end of it, you are not an apprentice anymore. You're a full-on installer being able to make full-on money and set your career path. So you walk so they out, can, they can. In, this is entry-level. Like, you can start from zero and zero. do this. Come out of high school. You get a job, you get a paycheck while you're doing it, mm-hmm. you get benefits while you're doing it, you walk out debt-free as a skilled tradesman. It's a good deal. It's a great deal. And, and, I'm sorry, is it, is it going now or is it about to Starts open? Monday. First Starts class, Monday. First, first classes are How has the response been? I would imagine you would get a ton of applicants. We have, you are my first marketing adventure. Okay. We have been working on getting everything up and rolling. Yep. All of the first candidates are internal candidates. Um, they're all of our already guys who are helpers in our system that are mm-hmm. wanting to advance. Mm-hmm. Um, so this will be the first we're actually going to be talking to Gino today and putting together some commercials to start getting it out to the right. Tampa yeah. Bay area. Building the and, whole campaign for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm hoping that response is overwhelming because I think this is a great opportunity for guys who want to get into the trade and want to get into construction and and really have a great career path. And that's the thing that people don't think about is in a construction company, we have accountants. We have um, we have purchasing agents. We have all kinds of different skilled people mm-hmm. in our warehouse. We have inventory specialists. We have division managers, um, supervisors, lead installers, all of these different opportunities where they can grow. They're limited only by their drive and imagination. You want to stay there and install houses forever? Perfect. We will keep feeding you. Mm-hmm. You know, But if you want to grow and you want to lead and you want to build a team, you're limited only by your drive. Give me an example of some people who have grown with you over the years. Sure. Um, we have um, one of our leads who is running. Um, we actually, all of the leads who are running our divisions, whether it's Tampa, um, Orlando, Lakeland, everywhere we are. Oh, Ocala. They all started somewhere else, and they all started as installers. Mm-hmm. They all started um, slinging ductwork, putting in the jobs, and um, they've all grown. Um, most of them were in, hired in the 2000s and have grown with the company. Um, one specific story I can tell you about. Um, we One of our first installers we ever hired is a guy named Dave. Dave is a great guy. Um Robbie used to say he could build an origami duck out of ductwork. Like, he's an artist. Um, Worked for us for a lot of years uh, as an installer, became the lead installer, moved to the replacement department, ran that department as a production specialist for a lot of years, was doing a great job. Um, He was in a massive motorcycle accident. Massive. Um, And he um, could no longer do any kind of physical job. So Robbie said, well, we can't lose his brain. I mean, he knows more about Mm -hmm. all of this stuff than anyone else. So we sent him to school, and he learned how to become an estimator, how to do the duct design, how to do the CAD calculations, all of the things that we need to do for the permitting side and the design and layout side of a construction home, and he's still with us today. Nice. I want to say we hired Dave in... 
2001, and he's still with us today. It's a good run. Yeah, it's a great run. Have you ever had people leave and do entrepreneurial things? Have you ever sort of had people leave and go start their own? Almost every plumbing company in in Pasco County. (laughs) (laughs) You started them all? Yep. That's great. Yeah. um, I think the only one older than us is Kielty, Rod Mm -hmm. Kielty's Mm -hmm. company. Um, But even Eric Swainen, who runs the Pampering Plumber, he worked for Robert um, back in the day in the 80s and came back and started his own company. A lot of them. A lot of them started, you know, uh, we have several AC companies out there. I have a guy, um, now he's one of our managers. He left, ran his own HVAC company for a long time. COVID killed him. And he came back, and now he works for us again. He's actually one of the teachers at the school. Okay, all right. Yeah, he's running one of the classes at the school. But, um, yeah, so it happens all the time. And great competition is great to have. You know, there's plenty of room for great people. And I, as an entrepreneur, I'm never going to stop anybody else from doing that. Yeah. Great company. It's rewarding. It's great to see people yeah, go I on and do I want to see better everybody things. better yeah. their families and better their lives. And, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Do I want to keep them? Absolutely. But do I want to see them chase their own dreams? Absolutely. Go for it. We had a we had a couple that worked for us. One of our, actually, it was an estimator before, and he went to work for another company and um, ended up buying the company from the gentleman when he retired, and he's still running it today. Great. Yeah, we're Those still good friends. Yeah. Those Absolutely. Are good stories. Absolutely. I love seeing the community grow and, and the great tradesmen grow. There's plenty of work out there for all of us. Yeah. So I know that a year or two ago, you teamed up with a company that acquired some of your business. Is yeah, that, is that I? Yep. Okay. Yep. That we were talking about. So tell me about what precipitated that. So you had a family business that had grown and scaled and you all obviously decided that it was a good move to partner with this company. Yeah. So tell me about how you thought about that at the time and how it's worked out. Um, so not to get too into the weeds, but if you think about it this way, there is a transition problem when people, individuals own the shares Mm -hmm. of a a very large firm that's Mm -hmm. doing a ton of sales. Mm -hmm. So those shares aren't worth anything until you sell them. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're leaving them to your heirs, there's a huge tax burden on inheritance tax, mm-hmm. right? The estate tax burden is tremendous. So it got to a position where the estate tax burden would have been too heavy to bear and it would have put the company into debt. So it made sense with my father-in-law being into the 70s mm-hmm. to find a way to make that easier on everyone. Um, that's when IES entered the picture. Now, were you seeking a partner out or did they come to you? We're, we're seeking okay, a partner. Right. We talked to some industry friends, mastermind people, Sure, um, reached out and said, hey, do you know of anybody that would make a great partner? And they immediately um, brought these guys to the table. So you have your options, right? You've got your big hedge funds and they want to come in and bulk up the business, bulk up the sales and flip it, you know, and that's not what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to retain the family business. We want to retain the family feel. So IES Residential came to the table, and it resonated so much. They have a core set of values that is so similar to what we are. Um, they started out as Houston Stafford Electric. It was one man in a truck, and his wife, is her name is Faye, and she still sits at the front desk to this day. Um, they are part of a big publicly traded thing but what it meant to us is that the company became gained not just a partner but it gained immortality Mm -hmm. it gained a bigger set of guiding principles than our family that cared about our family and about our business and it cared about our legacy Mm -hmm. like now bayonet has the the steam engine behind it to outlive our family. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fall to my kids. It doesn't fall to my other kids in our family. It stands on its own now with the same core dividing, you know, driving yeah. principles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about finding a good partner, but you also, this wasn't you looking for the opportunity to exit the business either. Like yeah. you're obviously <laughs> still retaining a, a large Absolutely. part of it and you're all yeah. still working in it. So Absolutely. any advice for 
business owners who are looking to do something similar, like maybe they have a legacy family business and they want to do exactly what you just talked about, but they want to stay on afterwards. Any, any advice for people who want to stay on? Like, how have you managed? Because I would imagine some things change. It must be somewhat different after you've been acquired. A little bit. Um, mostly, it's, it's, in the, it's in the operating agreement that ne- you negotiate, right? Um, it was imperative to us to preserve the culture, the name, and the purpose and it was imperative to them for that to persist too. Mm-hmm. You know, they they wanted to. The education center would not have happened without them. Mm-hmm. We needed that bolster. Um, it would no in no way, shape, or form been as easy to negotiate this whole inventory crisis, this whole shortage. Any of that, none of that would have been as easy to negotiate without them. Because of the additional scale it brought to the table? Yes. Okay. The additional scale, the additional freedom, the additional weight. Like, hey, Houston, can you guys help us find any of this? Do you have anything over there? Do you know of anybody? You know, so we immediately expanded our resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having to be completely SEC compliant, you know, you have Sarbanes-Oxley. Everything has to be triangulated. That's been a little bit that's probably been the most challenging piece you know it's um, a lot of admin overhead just it, just the compliance it did stuff. the, the yeah. compliance piece added some admin overhead and that was probably the biggest adaptation they haven't said you need to do anything differently they haven't um they did crash our email <laughs> other than that <laughs> we went a couple days where they decided that we're all going to the same email server oh okay that <laughs> wasn't as smooth as you would have liked no yeah but other than that you know we're okay right you know, and i work really really well with those guys um they they like us we like them i think my advice to everybody is find a fit mm-hmm. it has to be the right fit for your goals so some people want to sell their businesses to cash out and get out and that's out there, and that's easy, and that happens every day. Um, but if what you want is to preserve a legacy, the fit, the marriage there is so important. You have to be able to talk. You have to be able to work together. You have to be able to problem solve, and they have to listen to you. And the president of IES Residential, I can text him anytime, and he's right there. If something's going on and I need his intervention or I need his help or I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing or why they're asking what they're asking, I've never felt like I need to, you know, back off or anything. They're very approachable people, Mm -hmm. very similar people to who we are, and um, I really enjoy working with them. Great. So what's next for you? What are you excited about? Um... The school, obviously. The school. But even longer term than that, like where's where's it all going? How much bigger is this going to get? I don't know. Yeah? I don't know. I don't don't think I've mapped out those goals yet. I know that there is, um, there are a couple of territories we have our eye on in the state of Florida. And um, not allowed to talk about that yet. But we did just open Ocala. Right. So the horse girl in me is very happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to be able to build service in Ocala. Um, Horses are near and dear to my heart, and being able to serve the horse community up there in Ocala would be amazing. Um, And so there's there's other opportunity on that. We also um, expanded to Fort Myers. So um, we actually purchased Edmondson Electric's air conditioning division um, about a year ago. And so we now have a presence in the Fort Myers area, Fort Myers, Naples, Venice. Um, So we're going down that coast too. Great. Great. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been very good. It's good stuff. Great. Great to see you. Thanks for your time.